The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 16. Glory to you, O Lord. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord. This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before, the, before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you for being to us a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, for coming to be with us as Jesus and knowing the challenges, the pain, and even death that we experience. Strengthen our faith in you that we might live out our faith. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> One of the really big challenges we have to deal with as Christians is the way that our religion has been used, or I should say misused, to valorize and spiritualize suffering. Jesus says that he must go to Jer Jerusalem and undergo great suffering. Jesus goes on to say that anyone who wants to be his disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. Does Jesus want us to suffer? It has been the contribution of black liberation theologians like Dolores Williams and James Cone to make the point that these texts have been misused to oppress people, including black people, where in our own history of the country, uh, this really happened. A slave master would pull out a text like this and say, Jesus wants you to suffer like he did, so you just stay right where you are and accept your lot. So we have to really be careful with a text like this. What is Jesus really asking us to do? Well, we can look at the broader story of Jesus' life in the Bible and our own Christian history to better understand what is meant here. 
first of all, when we read the Bible, we know that there were multiple times when an angry mob wanted to kill Jesus, and he didn't let them, right? When he was at his hometown in Nazareth, he preached a fiery sermon, and they all got mad at him, and they wanted to shove him off a cliff. And the Bible tells us that he snuck his way through the crowd to continue his ministry. And there are other stories like that. After John, his cousin, was arrested and beheaded, Jesus got out of there. He went very far away. So the same thing wouldn't happen to him. So we know that there was much more to his life than just taking on suffering and dying. Similarly, we've been learning in Christian history that in the early days of Christianity, when there were persecutions against Christians, it was actually taught that it was wrong. If you went and turned yourself into the authorities and you said, I'm a Christian, throw me to the lions, that was wrong. And many of the people who did that would end up faltering. They would end up faltering when they got in the arena and they would, they would renounce Christ sometimes and beg for the Caesar to let them go. And so the early Christians taught, do whatever you can not to be arrested. We even read a funny story about a mother who hid the clothes of her son because she knew that he wanted to go out and turn himself in. He was too embarrassed to go out on the streets naked, and so she saved his life. So he wasn't rounded up and martyred at a young age. So we read this story of Jesus where he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The key to this is when he says, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. And then listen to this. He says, but if you lose your life for my sake, then you will find it. In other words, the key is giving our lives all of our lives, every day of our life, in service to the gospel. The gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our works. Today in Sunday School, we're going to read chapter 20 in our book about Athanasius of Alexandria. Athanasius of Alexandria, by his enemies, was called the Black Dwarf. Apparently, he was short, and he was black. He was from Egypt. He was a Copt, which is to say an indigenous Egyptian person, you know, not from the Greek conquest, not from the Roman conquest, not from any of the empires that came through Egypt. He was, and his family had deep roots in the soil of Africa. Athanasius of Alexandria, when there was the Nicene Council, he was a secretary. He wasn't a bishop, but he was taking notes. And this is when all of the bishops got together and they were arguing about whether Jesus was divine or not. And there was a group of bishops that wanted the Christian church to get rid of the teaching that Jesus was divine. That he, just, he was the first created thing. Only, only God the Father is divine. God created Jesus early on, and Jesus was a creature, not divine. And that group of 
bishops got up and they made their, their argument and they lost. They lost massively. People said, you lie, heretics. They came and they grabbed their papers and they tore them up. Well, Athanasius was a secretary at the time. He was just taking notes. And even though Orthodox Christianity won the day, in the years that followed, Emperor Constantine changed his mind. Constantine ended the persecution of Christians, but he never really fully became a Christian, arguably until his deathbed. And even on his deathbed, he was baptized by one of the bishops that claimed that Jesus wasn't divine. So Constantine was a great figure in history, but his contribution to Christianity is very mixed. And so soon, he was giving power and authority to the bishops that denied that Jesus was God. And they were, they were gaining strength and power. And it tended to be that the bishops that thought this way tended to be more elitist. They were people that kind of lorded it over other people. They used their power and the prestige, and they claimed that they were smarter and better than others. And Athanasius, short in stature, with dark black skin, was seen as more of a bishop of the people. He was beloved in Egypt. He wasn't known for coming from high birth, just the opposite. He wasn't educated in the finest schools, but he was a man of the people and he loved his flock and he argued fiercely that Jesus, in fact, was divine. And this mattered so much because in order for us to be saved, in order for the incarnation to happen, for God to become and born a human being in Jesus Christ and to save us, Jesus had to be divine. Well, they sought after Athanasius. They attempted to arrest him multiple times, and there's very funny stories of the clever ways that he evaded them. It is said that one time the emperor sent an army to apprehend, or not a a full army, but, you know, a squadron or what have you, a group of soldiers to get Athanasius. And he was so good at hiding in the desert that they had already covered all the desert spots where he could have hid. And he was on a boat going up the Nile. And as he was on a boat going up a Nile, uh, a small boat of soldiers was gaining on him. And they shouted, they said, have you seen Athanasius? And Athanasius, a man of God who couldn't lie, said, Yes, he's just ahead of you, and if you speed up, soon you'll overtake him. And they sailed right past him. And there's lots of stories about him this way. He was, he was smart and cunning and fierce. Athanasius wanted to protect that most cherished doctrine of our faith, that God loved us so much that he came to be born in Jesus Christ. Not just created, but God, the very presence of God living with us, being our savior. And this matters so much when we study the text this morning because the point is, when we say that we are saved by grace, it means because Jesus came and was a human being, every single human being, each and every one of us on the face of the earth is made in the image of God. And so each and every human being deserves respect, deserves dignity, deserves a decent life. 
And that all is true because of Jesus, because God affirmed humanity in Jesus Christ. And so when we say that we have faith in Jesus, what that requires of us is the highest standard of ethical action. We must treat every human being as though they are made in the image of the living God, even if they are our enemies, even if they are ourselves, We must treat each human being with dignity and respect. That is what faith is. And Peter, good old Peter, Peter, the, the wonderful disciple of Jesus, he's the first to claim that Jesus is Lord, and he's the first to try to tell Jesus what to do. Peter tells Jesus he can't go to the cross, he can't suffer, because in Peter's mind, if Jesus does that, then he must not be the Son of God, right? He had just said, Jesus, you're the Son of God. You are like God. You are all-powerful. You can do whatever you want. You can't go to the cross. You can't suffer, because if you do that, then you're no longer God. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Gosh! What a strong retribution. But the reason why Jesus had to be so strong, because it is indeed Satan. It is the evil one that tries to deceive us into thinking that only strength and power and wealth and health and all these things, that's the devil telling us that that's God. That's a lie. That's a deception. It's a deception to get us to think that only good people and faithful people are successful in this life. That's where Peter was thinking. But the truth is just, it's not that. There are good, decent, hardworking, faithful people who suffer in this life, who have disease, who never are successful economically. Just because you're faithful doesn't mean that the world will see you as successful. <coughs> And that is what Jesus wanted Peter to understand. And so this morning, we are given a very narrow path. On the one hand, we are told that we must never seek out suffering for ourselves. That is not godly, nor should we give suffering on anyone else. On the other hand, when Jesus corrects Peter, he's saying, you should never think that success and earthly blessing is a sign of your salvation either. You see, both those things are eliminated, and there's this only this tiny path set before us, this path that has been walked by faithful people like Athanasius, like the martyrs who have gone before us, and especially by Jesus. It's a path of radical, nonviolent action against unjust power and illegitimate authority. It's the path that Jesus walks and invites us to join to direct our lives squarely in the face of abuse and to disarm it with tools of creative love and action against anyone who would hurt someone, whether personally, domestically, or publicly. It's the Christian who is called to lift up our heads and sometimes even interpose our bodies for the sake of the world. And when we do that, the world may look upon us with scorn and disdain. It may see us as fools. 
we may be judged and called traitors or enemies. How dare you raise your face against the earthly powers? But when we do so in the way of Jesus with love and peace, then we will know the words of St. Perpetua to be true, an early martyr. She said, what I am suffering now, I suffer by myself. But then another will be inside me who will suffer for me, just as I shall be suffering for him. Amen. We sing our hymn of the day, hymn 295. Please stand as you're able. <laughs> 